today's sermon will be from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Today's scripture reader will be Gary Berlingame. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And finally, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. May the Spirit help us to understand Paul's letter as the Lord intended. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and we thank you that you have spoken these words to us. Would you help us, even as we wrestle in our hearts with the difficulty of some of the words we have heard in these moments, to remember that ultimately they are words from you, that carry the weight of your authority, and words that are for us and for our good. So would you help us? to understand these words properly, to feel the, the weight, the, the burden of the text, what Paul was communicating to those first readers, and then to be able to make application of it to our lives, in our world, in our culture, that in many ways is so different from theirs. So would you help me? Would you help me to speak with clarity, to say things that are true, that are helpful, and would you help all of us as we seek to sit under your word today, would you, by your spirit, cause it to have its good effect? Give life to the ones who feel like they are falling apart. Give strength to the ones who are weak. Correct those who need correction. Comfort the brokenhearted and those who are longing. Would you meet with us in all the ways we need today? Would you change us by your grace into the people that you want us to be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. We're just gonna jump straight to the big idea and then kind of work with it a little bit, okay? In some ways, we're, it's, we're just kind of talking today and in other ways, we wanna get through that to here's what God has said to us and what difference that should make in the way we live every day of our lives. So the big idea is this. Our relationship with Christ as Savior and Lord must govern 
all our earthly relationships. Our relationship with Christ as Savior and Lord must govern all our earthly relationships. So kind of first, I want to talk about understanding household codes. Like, what's a household code? Um, that's what this section of Colossians is. And it's not unique. Paul and Peter were not the only ones who thought, oh, maybe it's a good idea to address all the people who live in the same household. This is something that Greeks did. This is something that Jews did. There are lots of household codes, instructions for here's how you are to live where you are Place. So there are passages that are similar in structure to this one, not just in the New Testament, like a more expanded version in Paul's letter to the Ephesians or in 1 Peter 3. It's not just those. There are passages similar in structure that were common in both Greek and Jewish writings. And usually the purpose of those other household codes was to keep good order. And they're mainly addressed to the Father who is also usually the master, the one who is over the family, the whole household. And that's really the idea. We're talking about it as Christ at home and work. And I think a lot of what's addressed to masters and slave there applies the most today to work. There's no direct application for us today, but I do think it applies the most to work. But in that day, it all would have been about what's happening in the home because the father would have been the undisputed Lord and master of the home. I mean, even to the point of like, okay, we, they had control over their slaves and that was terrible, but even over their own children where they could just kill them if they wanted and there was no authority that could say anything about that because a son, until he was grown, was no better than a slave. Paul even references that in Galatians in talking about what's happening in his culture. And so those words to the father and the master would be mainly about how to get the most production out of the household. Get the most work possible out of the slaves in your charge. How to get the most efficient labor. How to keep control and good order because that family unit, which is much more than what we think of today as the family unit, where it's a husband and wife and then as the Lord blesses husband and wife and kids and kind of the nuclear family, it'd be a whole bunch of people that are part of this household that became the building block of the city and of the city-state and ultimately of the empire. And so it's important to keep good order so that everything ran efficiently all the way up. That was the point of many of these household codes. One note of interest in this household code is there are more words to slaves and masters than in most, certainly in the other ones in Scripture. It's similar, the actual words are similar in amount to the ones in Ephesians, but there's a lot more said to wives and to husbands and to children than there are in Colossians. So it's kind of an abbreviated version here in Colossians, except for masters and slaves. Most likely, that was because there was a particular slave named Onesimus who had escaped from Philemon, a member of the church in Colossae. So there would have been a member of the church who's one of those masters who's being addressed in these words, and that along with this letter from Paul is coming one of his slaves who had run away, which he wasn't supposed to do, and had since become a Christian under Paul's ministry and now was being sent back 
to him with another letter, which I think is going to get some airtime in January, right? Yes, it's going to get some airtime in January, the letter of Philemon, which is a letter to that master where Paul is appealing to him to welcome Onesimus, who was formerly his slave, to welcome him now as a brother in Christ and even a fellow worker. So this would have been a really interesting dynamic. It's hard for us. There are ways that it's really hard for us to put ourselves in exactly their shoes, especially on that count. But that's probably why there's more to masters and slaves here than in the other places. But these instructions from Paul and the parallel ones in Ephesians 5 and 6 are also different in some very important ways from those typical household codes, those words that were about, like, let's keep good order so that ultimately the state runs the way that the people in authority want the state to run. One of those was it's the section about slaves and masters. So a brief word about slavery. This text does not condone slavery. It speaks to people where they were in their life situation. Right, think about what's been going on in this letter to the Colossians. It's who is Christ? What does it mean to follow him? What has he done for you? Who are you now in him? And now we're in the part of the letter where it's what difference should that make in the way you live? Right? The last words before our text for today are, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he just turns right to wives, and then husbands, and then children, fathers, and slaves, and masters. So it's giving instruction on how they are to live under Christ as Lord. In fact, the word to masters here was really subversive to the whole system of slavery, differing significantly from any other household codes from its time. The words to masters are usually, again, about getting the best out of them, getting the most. But there's a very simple, straightforward word to masters in our last verse for today. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants, your slaves, justly, and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is completely different than the normal way that masters would be addressed. They left out all the, here's how to make them more efficient, you need to do what's right. Because you're going to answer to a master as well. And that word for master is the word that's translated Lord. So all those places in the text, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, We'd see that, when you see that again, it's like, lords, you have a lord. Masters, you have a master. And so the word about slavery, in the end, becomes a word about authority. Because we don't have slavery here anymore, thank God. And so that's something that we go, okay, we got to be careful, does it condone slavery? But there's another Part at the beginning of the text that many people have trouble with today and say, certainly this must have been to a certain point in time and talking about in that culture. And so once you've said that, then okay, well, we don't need to do this either. But let's think about authority in generally. 
The answer, as Jonathan Lehman says in his new book on authority, the answer to bad authority, and there is lots of bad authority out there, people exercising authority for their own good, for their own benefit, to the detriment of the people for whom they should be caring. And so there's a tendency in our culture today, we're thinking about their culture then, our culture now, we tend to think like we're just moving in this great line of progress in history and they were all backwards and had problems then and we've got it pretty much figured out now and just need to clean up just a little, the couple leftover things from the old ways. Uh, If you look around though, you notice that that's not really working and is not really true. So the answer to bad authority is not no authority is what Jonathan Lehman says, but instead good authority. You think about even places where authority is exercised wrongly, right? We rightly value the role of parents in the lives of their children, but if there is abuse happening, there is an appropriate appeal to other authority beyond them, to authority both in the church and the civil authority. It's appropriate to to appeal to other authority when abuse is taking place. And sadly, it's with parents and children. It's with husbands and wives. It can take place in other settings as well, but those are the main ones in the text for today. But the answer to bad authority is not no authority. No authority is chaos and is not the way that God designed his world to be run, which leads us to the ultimate authority. And that's really the key to this text. If this text is hard for you, and whatever I've said so far hasn't made it any easier, I would love to talk with you afterwards. But the key to how do we feel this the way Christians ought to feel it? How do we understand it the way Christians ought to understand it? The key is Christ the Lord. Look back at the text. So verse 18, the first one, right? Wives submit to your husbands. This is one that is very countercultural. As is fitting, how? In the Lord. Verse 20, children obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord, and that actually masks what's uh, underneath it. It says this is pleasing in the Lord. Now we're not used to talking that way. Right, it's like so pleasing in the Lord. That's pleasing to the Lord. We'll just make it to. But the the in the Lord, that same language that's there in verse eighteen is the exact same expression in the Lord in verse twenty in the instruction for the children. In verse twenty two, speaking to slaves, the end of that. Why are they to do what they're supposed to do? Fearing. The Lord. And then verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your as your reward. You are serving, or that could also be translated as an imperative. Serve the Lord Christ. And then to masters. Treat your servants justly and fairly. Why? Knowing that you also have a Lord in Heaven. So in these really few verses, you have almost every one of them, the reason given is it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Which, when we think about what's been happening in Colossians, it makes sense to us, right? The answer is not in anything else. The program for spiritual growth is nothing else than Christ. 
and him crucified. It's why Paul, when he was with the Corinthians, decided to talk to them about one thing. Because that one thing was what they needed. So the key to understanding this text is that it's not about, oh, that man is that kind of bad authority, or my parents were like this, or government is like that, or my employer is like this. It's all with and for and under the Lord. The Lord who is the ruler of all, who came and gave his own life for us and showed us what good authority looks like. So our text for this morning shows that when Paul says to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus at the end of verse 17, he's not just talking about the so-called big things in life. He's talking about the seemingly little things too. Doing big things for Jesus, and if you want to do big things for Jesus, I commend you and I'm excited for you and we want to support you in that. If you want to do big things for Jesus, it starts with doing the little things for Jesus. Doing big things for Jesus starts at home. And if we think we can treat those around us, those closest to us, like trash and come to church and sing or teach or pray for other people, greet them warmly in the name of the Lord, but we can ignore him at home, we are fooling ourselves. Whatever setting our minds on things above from the beginning of this chapter 3, And seeking the things above. Whatever that means, it involves living our day-to-day, moment-to-moment existence with the real people who live around us. Like Jesus is Lord. Like That's how we're to process this. Jesus is Lord. And not just generally, but he's my Lord. Who has given specific instructions for my life. Sometimes we wish we could get this manual for God's will, right? That would tell you where you're going to go to school, what you're going to major in, what your career is going to be, if you're going to get married, and if you're going to get married, you'd like, really like to know who it is that you're supposed to marry, and how many kids you're going to have, and how they're going to turn out, and we'd like this manual that just tells us, you know, do this, take this step, do this one, and then it all is going to work out, and you're going to be in my will, When we think about God's will, often we think about it that way. What am I going to do? What job am I going to have? Where am I going to live? God cares about all those things. But he also really cares about what Paul has written in verses 5 to 17 that we've looked at over the last couple weeks together. Where he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Right? Those things on that list, putting those to death, that's God's will for your life. You may not know, that may not help you know where to go to college, but it'll help you be living in the Lord's will. And putting on what starts in verse 12, as those who belong to God, those who are chosen by him, holy, loved by him, putting on compassionate hearts, putting on humility, putting on gentleness, above all of those, putting on love, which is what holds everything together in perfect harmony. That is, is God's will for your life, for my life. Our relationship with Christ as our Savior and Lord is what governs our relationships at home and work. 
As Paul has been laying out, Jesus is Lord and he saved us. He has defeated any, anything else that would claim to be the Lord. He's triumphed over them through his cross. And now he lives and we have died and we're alive with him. And we are all one in Christ because we belong to him. Live that out at home. Doug Moo says this in his commentary on Colossians. It'll be on the screen. These household codes make clear that the creation of a new humanity in Christ does not mean an erasure of existing social relationships, but their transformation as they are lived out under the lordship of Christ. So Paul doesn't just say, here's the status quo, everything's fine. He also doesn't say, blow it all up because I've made a new way. He's like, how do we live in the long term, ultimately transforming those structures, but how do we live within those structures as the people of the new age, of that future age of the new heavens and the new earth where everything is justice and peace and everything is love for God and neighbor? How do we live in the moments of our lives that way for that goal. And this is big, because then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we really got to do this. And you might hear that, and you might even see some of these things, and you go, no, no I'm, I don't struggle with believing that this is God's word to me. I just know how much I struggle with doing it. <laughs> and I know I don't do what it says in here very well. And so another reminder that this is, again, built on the gospel, This isn't, God might love you as long as you do this. David Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. Holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. It is something we are to do because of what we already are. We are already in Christ. We already belong to him by faith. And so we are called to live like who we are. So as we kind of work through each of these groups of people and how they're supposed to relate to one another, again, remember, Jesus' gospel is the ground and Jesus' glory is the goal of this instruction, just as it should be the goal of every thought and every word and every deed of our lives. So the first one is husbands and wives. And verse 18 begins, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There's an expanded version of this in Ephesians 5. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is countercultural. I was doing a wedding one year ago today. Happy anniversary. And in that wedding, working with the couple, and they were gladly supportive of this, I read 
as either I or someone reads in every wedding that I do from Ephesians 5, 22 through the end of the chapter. And this one was a little different than others because as I read, wives submit to your husbands, there was an audible gasp in the crowd. You were probably so upset about the DJ, you didn't even notice that. <laughs> Carmen, you noticed it. Yes. She's like, okay, yeah, we, we believe this. We're on board, okay. Um, but it, was like, it wasn't just one person, right? It's like, it's just, it's just the Bible, folks. I'm just, it's, you know? But it was like this moment where it's like, <gasps> okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit in this sermon, you know, at the wedding about what this what this means, but it was a reminder that it's something that feels very out of step with our culture today, right? It's as awkward as talking about masters and slaves in many ways to read wives submit to your husbands and go, that's what it means. Because everything in us is like, no, it can't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. But I do believe, along with many, and what our church believes, um, that there are reasons that this is different from, okay, slavery's bad, and he was just working with them in the structure as it was then, and now it's different. I don't think we should say the same thing about husbands and wives for three biblical reasons. The first one is the creation order. Paul in 1 Timothy 2, as he's talking about leadership in the church and saying that it's men who ought to teach and exercise authority in the church. He points to the creation order that Adam was created first, then Eve in 1 Timothy 2.13. In the very next verse, he also points to the fall. He says that Eve was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, again, this doesn't let Adam off the hook. Just if you're, if you're struggling, just wait until we get to the men, okay? They're going to get it worse. I promise. But Eve was deceived, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.14. Bigger than either of those, and I think these would be enough on their own, bigger than either of those, creation and fall, is redemption. That marriage, at its essence, is a picture to help us understand the gospel. God didn't look at marriage and go, oh, that's really neat. Oh, there's a hierarchy there. Oh, I think I'll use that as an illustration for this thing I'm going to do called salvation. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that, yes, marriage is a mystery, but I'm saying it's about Christ and the church. And so marriage was actually created as a really good gift from God to be a picture of the great marriage, to be a picture of the marriage of Christ to his church. And that's why the instructions for, the instruction for wives here is closed by, as is fitting in the Lord. It's appropriate because that's how the church relates to Christ. So it's not just the reason from creation or reasons from the fall, but especially the reason from redemption that becomes the ground of how we think about Christian marriage. And again, there's all the normal things to say, like this doesn't apply to all men and all women. So it's not like if you're a woman and a man has something to say to you, then surely you submit to him. That is not how that works. That is not what it says. 
And you might even go, but it's plurals. You know, it's, no, but it's, it's just because there's more than one person in the room, right? So it's wives, submit to your husbands, right? In Ephesians, it's even more particular than that of submit to your own <laughs> husband, okay? So it's not just like, well, if I'm a man, then clearly I, I have authority in whatever situation I find myself if there's women around. That is not what it says and not what it means, but it is a picture of Christ and the church. Another word about submission in contrast to obedience. So the wives are given the rule to submit here. Children are told to obey. The bond servants are told to obey. And Mu, again, is helpful on this distinction between submission and obedience. Here's what he says about that. Obedience naturally fits a situation in which orders are being issued and in which the party obeying has little choice in the matter. Submission, on the other hand, suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. There's a couple implications of that. So submission is something, wives, you are to like, work toward. The idea of it is put yourself in subjection. And again, I know that's like, we don't talk like that and it's bad. The world doesn't talk like that because it's bad. But it's, note that it's voluntary. Something the wife is called to do. And I'll just, to skip ahead, the Bible never says, wives, submit to your husbands, followed by husbands, make sure your wife submits to you. It doesn't say that. Okay? And so if you're a husband, he's like, my wife, she just struggles with submissiveness and I'm going to bring her forward and we're going to make sure and she needs to do what I say. Uh, you Get ready for what's going to happen when you come. Okay? Because it's not going to go the way that you think when you come for help like that. So it's not your job to remind your wife, now I'm getting ahead. So let me finish the part for the wives before I, yeah. I'm not gonna yell. So as is fitting in the Lord, that's the ground of submission. That submission part is the surprise in today's culture. But wives, I would tell you that is your calling. If you are married, and if you're thinking about getting married, it's like, you need to think about this. You think about what it means, what difference it would make, how you want to be ready to defer and follow. It doesn't mean he's always going to be right. Anybody who's, any woman who's married can tell you that and give you examples. All right? Doesn't mean he's always going to be right. Doesn't mean he's always going to do what's right. It means that your posture is one where you're ready to support and encourage and follow and submit. And this is not absolute. You don't submit in literally everything he does because you are also a sister in Christ. So some men have tried to take, you know, so she's supposed to submit. So whatever I say, that's what she's supposed to do. And she's clearly in sin. I've got, there's my verse. It's right there in verse 18. It's in other places too. Right? It's like, but if you're calling her to sin, then she has another authority in her lives. Right? If you are being abusive, she has another authority in her life. And so, 
for the women here who are married. If you're in a position where you're like, what, what does it mean? You know, I'm trying to be submissive, but I don't think I'm supposed to submit here. Is it ever okay to bring something up to my husband, to point something out? And many of you don't need this encouragement. But if you're there, and especially if your husband is like, well, I'm the head of the house, so we don't talk about that here. Because you are a sister in Christ who loves him and wants to see him walking with the Lord. It is not only your right, it is also your responsibility to talk with him. Now, lovingly, right? It's not, not okay, now I have my opportunity to manipulate and control, and that's what I've always wanted is to get the control back and you just gave me the open door. That's not what it's for. It's out of love for him. And in some cases, out of safety for you. And if you're in a spot where you need that, please come to us and we will walk with you in seeking to call your husband to repentance. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's the part that would not have been countercultural at all. Well, the as is fitting in the Lord would have been not what everyone else would have said. But the submit to your husbands is like, everybody else would go like, yep, that totally makes sense. And that's the part today that's like, wait, what, no way. The part that back then would have been, wait, what, no way, is the next words. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The love your wives part, that's what would have been the shocker. Because marriage was for a few things, but love was not one of them in that culture. And we're not even just talking about like romantic love. That's not what this means. It means have romantic feelings for your wife. No, it means love your wife in the expanded version of Ephesians 5. Like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is your calling. So biblically, yes, the husband is the head of the household. Paul affirms this again in 1 Corinthians 11. The husband has the responsibility to lead, but he's to lead with love. Not in harshness here or bitterness, because there is no place for that under the lordship of Christ. Leaders in God's economy, in Jesus' new Creation, leadership is not like leadership in this world. Jesus goes out of his way in Mark 8 and 9 and 10 to teach his disciples what leadership, what being great, what being important, what being in authority means in his economy. It means leaders put themselves last. If leaders are going to be first in anything, it's humbling themselves. It's in serving It's in sacrificing for others. It's in putting the interests of others ahead of their own. That's what leadership is meant to be in the home. That's why a wife's submission is not absolute. And it's why the husband in the home is not the king in his castle. All right, so if the husband's there, then we watch what I want to watch. We eat what I want to eat, and we do it when I want it, right? Thank you, good. I hope there's anything after that. One of the men like just woke up, like, hey, that sounds good. I'm here, I'm here for that, right? Please know. 
The husband is not the king in his castle. He's the Christ-like leader who lays his life down for the people in his charge. And in the word to wives, we said submission doesn't mean that you never draw attention to ways he is going wrong. So a word to husbands related to that. When your wife is gently trying to help you see how your attitude, words, or actions are harming her, the children, or others, or the name of Christ, listen. She is your sister in Christ first. And if she's being brave enough in that moment, seeking to love you that way, receive her words as the good gift from God to you that they are. So leadership is not, I've got this. I don't need your help. I'm going to lead. Come on. And it's definitely not, I'm in charge. Serve me. Instead, it's how may I serve you and follow me as I follow Christ. Husbands, if you think your wife's not following you very well, check how you're following Christ. That's how you'll lead her. Wives, when it's hard to follow your husband, check how you're following Christ. Doesn't mean you'll find that, he's been do- that your husband has been doing it right all along. But it does mean that you'll find your rest in your greatest authority. So that's husbands and wives. And you're like, there's a lot of verses left. That's what I'm feeling too. So, parents and children. Children, this is easy. Obey your parents. Done. Right? It's good. And you guys do get an in everything. I don't know why I'm like leaning into the front row this way. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is what is acceptable. This is what is pleasing in the Lord. What's really neat about this moment is that the children are addressed directly like their people too. That's something else that would have been different in those household codes. It would have been about parents, what to do with your children. And here, the first word is actually to children, because they're people too. They're not just like going to be people one day, even though sometimes it might feel that way if you're a teacher. They're not just going to be people one day. They're people now. They have real thoughts, feelings, thoughts and feelings about God in many ways that are largely shaped in the homes they live in, which is the part for the next one. So kids, (laughs) this is addressed to children who are growing up in a household under their parents' authority. And your call, as hard as it is, is to obey, but ultimately when you're obeying your mom or your dad, you're obeying the Lord. The flip side of that is also true. When you're disobeying mom or dad, you are, on the authority of this passage and others, you are disobeying the Lord. Similar to how in 1 John, he says, how can you say you love God if you hate your brother? How can you say you want to obey God if you refuse to obey your parents? When you say, like, oh, I love God. Everything's good with me and God. 
but I just really hate getting instruction from my parents. You're demonstrating that you don't know much yet about what it means to live with Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And so that's something for you young ones, being directly addressed by Paul in these codes and ultimately by God. Obey your parents in everything. Say, well, I really want to live for the Lord. That's where it starts. Learning to obey your parents. That's how you will learn to obey the Lord. Then there's a word in verse 21 for fathers. And it's addressed here to fathers most likely because the father, again, would have been kind of the absolute uh, head of the entire household and responsible for that. So in many of these codes, the words are to fathers. Um, But it's obey parents, right, for the children. And there's a natural way that mothers fits in there too. And in many settings, it's mothers actually spending more time directly interacting with the children, especially when they're young. And so, yes, it's to fathers, but it's also to all of us who are parents, who have children in our care. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke or do not exasperate your children lest they become discouraged. And so it's a word to those of us who are parents to exercise authority well under our heavenly authority and for the good and the flourishing of the little people in our charge. Here it's do not provoke or exasperate. It's don't give them reasons to be bitter or resentful. So I would never do that. Well, that's good because the text goes on to say what will happen when we do. It's lest they become discouraged. And ultimately, that can lead to discouragement in following the Lord. So for parents, a few questions. Are we impossible to please? Do your kids know you love them? Are we impossible to please? It doesn't matter what they do, what they bring. We always have to see the way they didn't quite measure up. The way they couldn't quite meet our standard, because they're not as good at doing things, or in some cases the connection we end up making, not as good at following Jesus as we are. Are we impossible to please? Do we move the goalposts on them? Here you go, do this, and oh, a little bit more, a little bit more. Do we communicate expectations clearly? I was going to say there's nothing more frustrating, there's probably something more frustrating, but I know it's extremely frustrating for children to not know what is expected to them of them and then to get in trouble for not meeting those expectations. As adults, we don't like that either, right? Don't you hate that at work? It's like in your review, something comes up, you didn't even know it was a thing. And it's like, and here's why you're not getting your raise. And it's like, whoa, you can't do that. The, the sense of injustice that you feel in that meeting is the sense of injustice that your kids feel when they don't get clear instructions and then get in trouble for not being obedient children? Do we act toward them consistently with Christ-like character, representing God's authority in their lives? This is what we're called to. Abuse of authority is especially damaging in the home because we are their authority under the Lord. 
right? They've just been told, obey your parents in everything. This is what's pleasing. This is what's acceptable in the Lord. And so if we're going to say to disobey us is to disobey God, we want to represent him well. It's hard for kids to imagine God as a loving father when the father they've known on earth is harsh, impatient, unpredictable. When our kids are only okay to us in small doses because we have bigger things. They know that. When they can't meet our expectations and we are out of control, we must remember that we have a Lord and a Lord who has saved us and to remember what our goals are in parenting, right? Is it just, I want them to stop, and I, I know what that feels like, right? If they would just stop, then we could have peace for like a minute, and that's all I'm asking. It's not. <laughs> if you had your peace for one minute, you'd definitely ask for two. But we want to parent them as little people who really will or will not relate to God well. And so we want their relationship to Jesus to be what guides and governs what we say to them and how we say it. My wife and I were talking about this this week. She said, if I'm doing what I'm doing with them, because I'm concerned about them following Jesus, I am not yelling at them. If I'm doing what I'm doing with them, because I'm concerned, because I'm, I'm desperate to see them know and love Christ, I'm not yelling at them. I'm not getting angry with them because they're in my way or because they're a problem. I'm desperate to see them know and love Jesus, to know him as their savior and to live with him as their Lord. And as that gospel, that gospel goal guides us, it will shape the way that we act and speak toward our children. The last group, employers and employees, Again, the last words before this whole section was, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we think about employees and employee relationships. Here's a quote from Richard Baxter, speaking of the ultimate purpose of our lives. Remember your ultimate purpose, and when you set yourself to your day's work, or approach any activity in the world, let holiness to the Lord be written upon your hearts in all that you do. That's the heart of this section, these words to the workers. We're to work 
It says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Not by way of eye service is a little bit awkward for us. I haven't used eye service very much in a sentence in the last year. I'm guessing that you haven't either. But we can kind of get the idea. It means don't just work when the boss is watching. Right? How many, for those, for those who've worked in a cubicle farm like I used to, any of you work in a cubicle farm? Nobody? Work in an office with other people ever? Nobody? Everybody works from home? Nobody? Okay, thank you. I see those hands. All right. Great. Maybe cub- cubicle farm or we're asleep or I'm not sure. You work, yeah. You work at a zoo. That's true. I knew that. The zookeeper's all right, though, right? It's good? Okay. How many times do we see other people, or do we do ourselves, right? Someone kind of important is walking by, and all of a sudden, like, tabs are closing. (laughs) I know none of you would ever do that, right? It's like, alt-tab. Like, you've got, you got, like, your work screen, like, ready to go. We're going to flip right over to that. It's like, hey, how's it going? Good. I'm just, boy, I'm really head down. I don't have time to talk to you right now because I'm just head down working right here. Again, only unbelievers do that. Um, that's why Paul didn't really even need to write this sentence, except apparently um, he did. Right? It's like, not just when they're looking, not just to please people. And this is actually can be freeing to us when we feel like we're not being seen for the work that we're doing because that's a real thing because authority doesn't always get it right and they can't always tell. And there's other people in the office who are angling for the glory. It's like, yeah, boy, I did great work on that. And you're like, that I thought in our meeting before, that was like a team effort that I actually did 75% of, but you talked, right? I see the heads nodding. Like, these are real things. Like, How do you be a Christian then? That's what Paul's concerned about. How do you be a Christian on that day? In that moment? Well, they did wrong. It's like, yes. Yes. You serve the Lord Christ. It doesn't mean you'll get the raise. That's not what it says. It doesn't mean you'll get the promotion. Sometimes it's the person who's going out of their way to make sure everyone knows they're doing a lot of work when you know they're not who gets the promotion. And it's frustrating, it's wrong, it's unjust. And we serve in the fear of the Lord. And so whatever you do this week at work, work heartily, work from the heart as for the Lord and not for men. And when things go wrong and you know you're working fearing the Lord and not men, then you're free. Because it's not about what that guy thinks. What your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss thinks. All of them have a, a boss, right? And that's ultimately the word to masters here. It's like, why are they supposed to do what is right and fair? And why are those of us who are in positions where we have authority, have people under our charge at work? 
It's whether you're a teacher or administrator in a school, whether you're a manager at work, whether you have one direct report or 20. If you have 20, I'd recommend figuring out a way to have fewer. Just that's a bonus. Whether you're the head of a whole department or whether there's two people on your team and you're the team lead, you're not even really a manager and you're definitely not being paid like one. You are being given an opportunity to exercise some level of authority like Jesus would if he was in your spot. To work hard, to do what God has given to do, and to make life as good as it can be for the people in your charge. Why? Because you have a master who has been just like that for you. And there is promise of reward in verses 24 We work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, right, he's the one, and that's the emphasis in Greek as well, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. This would have been an especially sweet word to people who were enslaved. Slaves don't get an inheritance. Sons do. But who are you now in Christ? Even if your work situation is the worst, you are a son or daughter of the king. You might think, oh, your job's unimportant. There's real, real work that's being done around here and you're not doing it. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You have a Lord who will give you an inheritance that will be greater than the best retirement that you could imagine here. and It will last a lot longer too. And your body won't be falling apart during it. And so when we're concerned about our future and whether we're going to get the raise, the promotion, whether we're going to have what we need saved and be ready and all that kind of stuff, and it's good to be wise. We're not against wisdom here. How do we be a Christian in those moments? We remember the inheritance that we have. Ultimately, the inheritance that was purchased for us by Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. That's why we do what we do in our family and work relationships. And for those in authority, and this is another part that would have been very subversive in that culture, the dealing justly and fairly with those in your charge. Whatever authority we have, we must use it for Christ and his purposes in the lives of those we lead. Ultimately, this is all to Christ. It is all because of Christ. It is all with Christ. It is all for Christ. Basically, all that he said in verses 5 to 17 about putting off the old self, putting to death the things that are earthly, putting on the new self, putting on humility, gentleness, patience, and love, all that is to happen at home. Yes, at church too. Yes, at work too. But at home. And this is where we're reminded, if you haven't been yet, that there's a reason, as we read from Matthew 1 at the beginning today, there's a reason that Jesus needed to come. We need a Savior because who among us has used our authority just the way Jesus would have us every time, right? 
No one can raise their hand. Who among us has always obeyed our parents in everything because it's just the right thing to do before the Lord? If you think you have talked to your parents, they know. So all of this structure, this instruction is built on the structure, the foundation of the gospel. And it's empowered by it too. Because it really is true that we are dead to sin and alive with Christ. We, by his grace, are called to live out the values of the heavenly kingdom now in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is not automatic. There are some who teach that it is. Just get used to the idea that you belong to Christ and all of a sudden you'll just love your neighbor and everything will be great. It's not automatic or these words wouldn't be in the Bible. We don't automatically know what to do in every situation. And even when we know it, we don't automatically do it. That's why Paul gives us these instructions, calling us to live as those who belong to the Lord. In all our earthly relationships, we must serve the Lord Christ. That new self that we're to be put on, we're putting on from verse 10, it says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's ultimately the goal of our lives, to image Christ, to look like him. And if we're going to look like him, we must look at him. It's not enough to say, okay, now I know. When I get passed over for the promotion, I'll just pray. You should. But how do you be ready for that moment? Because there's going to be hard moments this week, right? Children, your parents are going to do wrong things this week. I can almost guarantee it. Wives, your husband's not going to be easy to follow. Husbands, there might be moments where you're tempted to be bitter toward your wife. Children, you'll be tempted to be exasperated by your parents. Those in authority will be tempted to use it for ourselves instead of for others. Those under authority will be tempted to chafe against it. So how do we be ready for those moments that are coming this week? We must see Christ to grow into the image of Christ. Again, our texts for that are from 2 Corinthians 3. We're changed from one degree of glory into another. Why? Because we behold with an unveiled face the glory of Christ. But one day, it'll be even better, right? 1 John 3. We're God's children now. And it hasn't yet appeared what will be, but we know when he appears, we'll be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. So kind of your take home more than like, I gotta like batten down the hatches and be ready for work this week and I'm gonna do it. Ready for parenting this week. Ready for kidding this week. See Christ. See him serving you by giving his life for you on the cross, for your wrong use of authority, for your disobedience to your rightful authority. See him welcoming the children. See him obeying his father. See him being patient with his disciples when they were slow. See him having time for the helpless, the poor, and the sick. See him using his authority to calm storms, to heal diseases, to forgive sins, to bring peace. See him doing all that 
for you and know his forgiveness and peace and love. Then strive in the spirit to follow him, looking more and more like him in your daily interactions with others in the regular course of your life. Remember in every moment, in every aspect of every relationship, you are, by his grace, in the Lord. And so you are to live like you are in the Lord. Our relationship with Christ as Savior and Lord must govern all our earthly relationships. Any authority we have is to be carried out under the authority of Christ for the good of those in our charge, never for our own benefit or gain. Any relationship where we are under authority must be lived out under the authority of Christ, our true and loving Lord who gave his own life for us. There is grace and forgiveness to be found in Jesus, and we never get to the point where we come to him on the basis of our good performance. It will never be enough to make up for all the wrong we have done and still do. But this is exactly what Christ came to do, to save his people from their sins. Not the trouble they were in because of everyone else's sins, from their sins. So there's grace and forgiveness to be found in Jesus, and there is grace for obedience, for following Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us turn from our sinful, selfish ways and trust him for forgiveness and power to live out the values of the new age that we have already entered in Christ, even as we wait for him to come again. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that at just the right time, you sent your son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem us who could never keep it. So would you help us to turn from the ways we're going our own way the ways we're out of control and we should be living under your control, the ways we're sinful and selfish and striving when we should rest in you and what you've accomplished and when we should love others with the love that you have given. Would you help us? For the thing we don't even know is coming yet this week, but we needed this for, would you help us to remember? Would you help us to see Christ? and be changed by that seeing? Would you make that our daily life so that we can show him in our daily lives too? In Jesus' name, amen.